0: Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now.
1: One of the creative ways we're trying to engage the theme of listening for Lent, you may have heard a bit more about it last week and maybe saw something in the eblast is that we've put together this beautiful banner behind us. And as you listen throughout the service in times of silence, or um, we are putting the benediction after the postlude, so we have time to sit and listen to the music. uh, Maybe you'll hear the bells ringing, too. I mention that um, as a way to engage you in the learning that happens in the sermon, but also in ways that we hear God speak throughout the service in song and prayer and silence through the bells of the tapestries on our wall. Listening is certainly an important task. In David Brooks' most recent book, How to Know a Person, he contends that the life well lived is measured by how well one listens. Asking questions, exploring backgrounds, how well one sees another person and sees them as distinct. One of the stories that he tells about this book, maybe you saw it in his op-ed, is that he was sitting down to interview a subject with someone in a town that he had been told was a player, a leader in the community. So he sat down and he was gonna get to the bottom of how this person led. He sat down with his questions and thus began the interrogation. She answered as best she could, but then someone else walked into the restaurant and he said her face changed entirely. And the person came up to her and gave her a great big hug and said, I'm so glad to see you. And it was her pastor. (laughs) So I think churches, I think church people pastors, we might have a step forward on what the world needs to learn on how to listen and how to hear and how to see who someone truly is because as David Brooks says and as we know to be true, we believe everyone to be a blessed child of God. And so with that understanding, we hope to hear and we hope to see and we hope to listen. But, as I said to our new members this morning, we are not a perfect church, we are not perfect people, so we need some ways to practice, to exercise listening. There was an interesting article in uh, the Presbyterian Outlook recently, was an interview with a pastor from Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago about a new movement that had started in their congregation called the deep listening dinners. Now it began in 2017 before COVID and it really picked up steam afterwards. It was modeled on similar community events, uh, the People's supper, speak down barriers. There was apparently this really large outdoor potluck dinner in the parking lot of a congregation that folks were invited to and it was called the big table. So the format of all these dinners would be familiar to us church folk, yet it was different too. There would be, of course, intentional welcoming, probably greeters stationed here and there. There would be, of course, food, probably something baked from someone's home. There would be casual chatting, hospitality abounding, and someone, of course, would have to clean up. But what is different about these dinners is the stated intention, which was to create a place for deep listening, for people to be heard. So there were some concrete steps that were followed in order to do this. The planners, they divided people up into smaller groups. So six or eight were seated around tables and there was always a prompt A theme of the dinner with a prompt that would initiate personal storytelling. Carefully chosen questions so that you couldn't sidestep it by talking about something you had read or something that happened to someone else, but it asked you to tell a story about yourself. And importantly, the hosts were trained. They reviewed table etiquette specific to this type of event, which that didn't include things like keep your elbows off the table and which fork to use, right? But it included things like don't interrupt someone who is telling their story. In fact, don't overly emote, but be present and still and listen. Remember, they said, no one here is trying to change someone else's mind. That's not what's going on here. We're here to hear. They said, be sure you stick to the theme and remind the speakers if it's your turn to go, when it's your turn to go, the main rule of thumb is to be courageous, be honest, speak openly about who you are. It's not a typical dinner party, but the idea is that people are interested in hearing stories of real struggles that people need to share stories of real fears, that people must know there is a place to share their real selves and their individual hopes and dreams. Oh, I'm ready to sign up. So I look a little more closely and see what the themes are. Here's one. The most recent theme was home. Home. And the prompt was, there were a few to choose from, where have you called home? And where are you finding home now? What places have and continue to be the most meaningful homes in your life? Nanette Sawyer is the pastor, and she says, these dinners, they provide an opportunity to share more deeply, to reflect, and importantly, to be known. To be known. Now, we don't have this program in particular in our congregation. Stick around long enough, and you might see it form. Actually, you're probably asked to help it form. Um, But not too long ago, we did gather for a very deep listening experience. I think there are almost 100 people, somebody can check me on that, 70, something like that, who met in the fellowship halls right beneath us to hear from Mr. Brendan Murphy, a history teacher at Marist, who does work about peace building among religions. Many of you were there. The program he brought us was a two-part lecture series on the history of Christian anti-Semitism. It was a complicated lecture. As someone said to me, I'm used to going back to the beginning, but not that far back. We went all the way back to look at the Gospel writings. Some of the anti-Semitism that's found in our own Gospels of Matthew and John in particular, we looked at the early church fathers and what they had to say. We looked at the Reformation fathers and what they had to say and he moved us on up through the Holocaust even today, and we learned a lot. We certainly did. But I believe the most important and challenging thing that we did that night as a church was to listen. Especially when it came time on Monday evening for questions and observations from the gathered audience. This was deep listening on our part as church people, because many of the folks in attendance who spoke up with questions were not church folk. They were not us. And as we all know, churches can become quite insular echo chambers of what we want and need to hear. So it's a good thing that our gospel is always moving us out. We are never to be satisfied with sharing the stories among ourselves, but we are always asked to consider how do we serve our neighbors? How do we engage our community? How do we spread Jesus' love of this radical welcome beyond these doors? You all know this. The motion of the message of the gospel is always moving outward toward others to love and to serve in the name of the Lord. And with this particular program, we got something right that I'm not sure we knew we were going to get right. And that's that many, many of the folks in the audience were not familiar. They were not familiar to me. They weren't familiar to you. Some of you had invited your neighbors. Um, Some of you uh, had come, sorry, some of you had invited your neighbors. Some folks who came were followers of Mr. Murphy and knew about his work with the Maris School, and others I knew came from another congregation who had heard about this experience and they just wanted to learn more. So, at the end of the second part of our series, he finally opened it up to questions. And as many really good teachers do, he really hadn't allowed questions up until then, keeping us on track moving forward with where he wanted to go, but here comes the time when people get to explore, get to ask questions, get to reflect, get to share, and I was interested to hear from what promised to be a variety of perspectives. And we did hear questions that were not our own and experiences that were foreign to us, and I am sure of this, because we are Christians. And many of the speakers who shared from their personal stories that evening were Jewish. And maybe you heard a query that had never crossed your mind. How much training do people in seminary receive about anti-Semitism? Maybe you heard a memory shared about the civil rights era in Atlanta that included the temple bombing and all of a sudden your story about covenant and about the civil rights movement was told a little differently than our usual tell. Maybe you had to remind yourself what was being referenced when you kept hearing about the events of October 7th. Did you squirm when political opinions were shared that were not your own? And maybe your heart skipped a beat as you ingested your neighbor's very real fear, one that you had not considered. During the question time, as we heard from people in attendance, the history lesson was current. And we better understood the ways that we as Christians have moved and move in the world, and the impact that that has on others today, we changed, we grew. We may have walked away with the same opinions, but the act of being open to others' deep sharing was impactful. And this all happened because we opened our church as a sacred space for our neighbors, because we showed up in a room even if it made us uncomfortable, even if we didn't agree and we listened, we heard. When I was in my first hospital chaplaincy stint, I worked at the veterans hospital called Mountain Home in Johnson City, Tennessee. I was still in seminary at Princeton Theological Seminary and I lived with my parents at their home and commuted in every day. My first taste of a commute. It was a really wonderful experience, that chaplaincy internship, a deep well from which I still draw strength, but I admit, at first, I was rather impatient. Honestly, what is the point of this? I thought one day you go in, you say hi to folks in their hospital rooms and that's all you get to do. At the VA where I served, you ended up seeing two types of patients. You were either visiting your World War II vets who were approaching the end of their days and they were typically often surrounded by hymn singing family who were accompanying them in their home going. Or we saw vets, Vietnam vets, who were younger and who were dealing with early onset physical mental health problems, and they were often alone. And they didn't have the same familial support. But they weren't necessarily open to sharing a lot. One vet I remember clearly, when I asked about the important people in his life trying to get some connection going, he told me every single detail about his cherry red pickup truck. Now, at first, like, I thought he misheard me. I want to talk about your family history or hear about what has been broken and hard. I'm here to attend you and your grief, accompanying you as the presence of Christ, and we're talking about your truck? But my supervisor, Chaplain James Pollard, he let me see that this story was not a throwaway one to him. He was a vet who had been damaged by trauma, fighting addiction. He knew, we knew at that time so little about PTSD and Chaplain Pollard said to me that I had been given the honor of hearing this story about one of the most important relationships in his life and I was serving Christ by just listening to him. That's not what it feels like, I would protest. It seems like I'm just listening. Not much is going on. Well, let me stop you right there, Chaplain Pollard said. When you are hearing a story, one of truth, one of love, one of fear, when you are hearing a story that has never been shared before, you are not just listening. You are just, as in justice. You are just listening, providing the safe space in a world for a story to be shared and a voice to be heard. Authentic listening is not a popular mission field. I get that. I know. We're Presbyterians. There's a lot of presidents who are Presbyterians. We'd rather be saviors and use our special skills or our resources to fix things that can be quantified, to address things that can be accurately determined, or at least we want to be more relevant. Isn't there a position paper that we can sign on to or a seat at the table where decisions are made? But what if, what if? What if our neighborhood needs less strength and maneuvering and more self-giving, more self-sacrifice, more love? What if justice listening is where we are called in mission as well? A recent article that I found out, the chamberofcommerce.org, said that Atlanta claims the space as the fourth loneliest city in the nation. Their primary metric is uh, measuring the number of people who live alone, so I'm not sure that necessarily equals loneliness, but it does mean there's less face-to-face interaction. And you already know this, I know because I hear about the welcome that you give to your new neighbors, an invitation to dinner for the woman down the hall, an invitation to people who might be wondering about living alone. I know about the care you take with the people among you who have differences Differences who could make them caricatures if you didn't get to know them. I know from the ways that you already engage your community. I know at work when someone drops by every day and you realize that talking with him may be the only human conversation he gets, that you are not just listening, that you are listening well. The story for today from scripture passage is an important one. It's the story of Abram and Sarai getting their new names, establishing the covenant with God. Abraham and Sarah, they're in the desert, and God comes so close to them, and they come so close to God that they know just what God has called them to do. They listen. They hear and they respond and they go on to be the great family with descendants as numerous as the stars. This is the family which all monotheistic religions trace their roots, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. This passage about hearing the Lord's call to who you are and who you are called to be is an important passage on listening. As usual, my favorite commentary on this passage is from the children's curriculum, Godly Play. (laughs) This is what it has to say about the story. When Sarah dies, the curriculum says that Abraham was very sad and that Sarah died, and you heard this in the passage today, but Sarah died because she had many, many, many years. What a wonderful way to explain death to children. It makes sense of the order of things. It offers comfort along with a dose of reality. There's hope along with a place for sadness. She died after many, many, many years. I remember one child, after telling the story, came up to me afterwards and said, my grandmother just died. I began to reach out to comfort him and I'll never forget the look on his face. Incredulous, imploring, awestruck, when he turned to me and he questioned, he piped up and said, do you think my granny had so many, many, many ears? (laughs) What a blessing to listen well, to practice, to hear, to just listen to God's loved world and God's loved people, to be a person, to be a people, to be a church with not just many years, but many ears. May it be so. To God be the glory, time without end. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L dot There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us